Hey, and welcome back to the history of China. I told you I would get episodes out faster. Anyway, last time, Emperor Shen, like a network TV show on Fox, just sort of existed. Neither impressing nor offending much of anyone, but as his reign progressed, he let snakes in the grass run wild. Or, I guess, slither. With Liang Ji inexplicably being given power, Murphy's Law can and does kick in. Albeit, Emperor Shen did everything to make it less of a what-could-go-wrong-will-go-wrong situation and more of a let's-make-it-go-wrong. So, without further ado, The History of China, Episode 58, Liang Ji and the Child Emperors. With the stage set, all the pieces in place for the events to occur, let's get to know Liang Ji first. We know about the crumbling foundation and the general problematic inertia the Han Dynasty was facing. So now, let's get to see the kerosene that's about to be thrown onto this fire. Liang Ji does not end the Han Dynasty. Let's get that out of the way but he's going to accelerate it. Recently, a lot of these bad figures we have seen, the corrupted and self-interested ones, often did not act alone. It was a family affair. For Liang Ji, it appears he was a black sheep. And his father, Liang Shang, and his sister, the Empress, as well as his younger brother, Liang Bu Yi, are all recorded as being normal, if not outwardly good-intentioned people. And I'm not going to gloss over this because this is important. The clan structure and the power dynamics of, you know, the new empress's family having more power were clearly an issue. Most of, if not all, of the powerful and capable members of that empress's clan were in on the action. We saw this with the Yans. But here, the empress in this case is recorded as being virtuous and rational. We heard that last time. The father, for his part, Liang Shang, was recorded as being an honest and capable official, one who only took his role as Grand Marshal after respectfully declining it multiple times, giving in and accepting only after multiple pushes and insistence by the Emperor himself to accept it. Look... Was Liang Shang some sort of rock star? No, but he was honest and capable. And Liang Bu Yi, the brother of the empress and the brother of Liang Ji, was from all accounts honest and capable in his own right. Liang Ji, however, shared only one thing with his family. Well, two if you include his last name, but it was something he had the most of, And clearly it was not in the honesty department. It was that he was capable. The arguably most capable. And in all of the worst ways. He was a person that wanted power. Sure, for his clan that would be great. But at the end of the day, it was for himself that he wanted it the most. With the death of his father, Liang Ji inherited all the family marshes and assumed the role of Grand Marshal, 
And within zero seconds, Liang Ji went to work doing everything I have built up so far. He wasn't out there immediately spreading hellfire, though. He was a cunning one. I will give him that. Within a year of his dad dying and assuming his new role, a government official saw Liang Ji for what he was and began throwing shade at him. Nothing treacherous, nothing overt, but shade nonetheless. He would criticize Liang Ji and go after his actions or policies under the guise and probably literally political discourse. But Liang Ji being Liang Ji was not having this guy. He was too smart to go rogue and have this official executed. Instead, he worked the strings of government and his personal connections to get the official quote-unquote promoted to governor of Guanlin, one of the areas under dire agrarian revolts. Why make a scene? Why be overtly treacherous when you can promote an official who disagrees with you to governor? That's a nice thing to do. Oh, and let the bloodthirsty rebels kill him. Liang Ji is a smooth operator. And he wasn't alone per se. Emperor Shen took advice from others, but Liang Ji slowly worked to increase his share of influence and decrease resistance. Now, I will note, the official he sent to the governorship of the problematic province did not end up being swarmed by farmers foaming at the mouth. Instead, it is recorded that he ended up getting them to surrender, put down their arms, and lead the province actually with a lot of efficiency all through honesty. So if there's a lesson to this on a macro level, on one hand, be sly and calculated with your enemies. But really, also, it turns out that effective governance and honesty can solve most of your problems. If only everyone operated like that and was this selfless, the Han Dynasty might still be going. Kidding, of course, but alas, you see my point. Liang Bu Yi and his sister, the Empress, tried to be a counterweight to their more conniving brother. They also not only had Emperor Xuanzir, but they obviously had a direct line to Liang Ji himself. Safe to say he did not heed their requests to calm down and be good. And in 144, the unexpected happened. Emperor Xuan drops dead from an illness. Huh? Wait, what? He just died? Look, Illness in the ancient world is the greatest draw for Uno card around. Young, healthy, and now dead. Emperor Xuan, just prior to his death, made his only son the crown prince. The son's name was Liu Bing, and he was around a year old. He was a son of one of his concubines, not the empress, but a son was a son as Henry VIII would have probably said, had he actually, you know, well, yeah, had a son. The fact the Empress did not have a son, and thus now didn't give birth to the new crown prince and soon-to-be emperor, was actually not the biggest deal in the whole world. Ideal? Surely not. But total disaster? Also, 
surely not. Because when a one-year-old becomes emperor, we know the routine. He gets regents. You see where this is going, right? With the new emperor's power structure, plus a last-second son at the buzzer, Liang Ji and the empress were shoo-ins for the spots of regents. Well, only Empress Liang, now Empress Dowager Liang, because she was the sole legal regent. But in just the three years prior, her brother Liang Ji had consolidated enough power to render that sole regency thing merely a formality. And here is where crisis for the Han and for this reign could have been avoided. Liang Ji may have moved fast in the last three years, but he was hardly the only official with the regent Empress Dowager's ear. To the Empress, well, again, now Empress Dowager Liang's credit, she trusted a lot of officials and gave them a lot of sway and generally had her heart in the right place. She wanted to do well. She wanted positive administration from the government. But she would just trust her brother Liang Ji simply too dang much. In another terrible analogy, she was like Luke Skywalker believing her father Darth Vader had good in him. But imagine the sixth movie didn't happen, as it should never have been made. She trusted him to an extent and honestly thought he would turn around, or at least have good intentions. She thought he could be normal. I mean, family's family. What can you do? She was naive, but to her credit, again, she was not totally out to lunch on her brother's sometimes dubious and ill-willed actions. During the early part of the Regency, and I mean early, Empress Dowager Liang stood up to her brother. It's recorded. So look, in 145, maybe more comfortable in his power, Liang Ji pleaded for the execution of an opposing official named Li Gu. Li Gu was, according to the histories, an honest man. And now you can see why these two didn't get along. But Empress Dowager Liang stood firm and protected the official. However, Liang Ji wouldn't get an episode titled with his name on it, if this was all that happened. The infant emperor's regency he was advising on, and during which slowly gaining power during, didn't last long. As in 145, the infant dies. I know, it may sound wild, we are two deaths in less than ten minutes here. But we keep having this problem seemingly with more frequency, it feels. But infant mortality was a real thing, a real problem, and was one up until pretty recently, if not still a large issue in some places today. But the implementation of a child emperor wasn't much of an issue to Liang Ji. It was just more time to gain more power. But here in 145, with the death of the infant emperor, he is presented with a real issue. His first real issue. His sister, the Empress Dowager, in a bid to be honest and avoid backroom madness, announced the death of the emperor publicly and immediately. 
Look, I'm not patronizing you guys, but there was no TMZ, no instant updates, no Twitter rumor mills, no real substantive leaks. An emperor back then could die, and you could realistically keep that quiet for a very long time while you move the pieces around in the back. This puts Liang Ji on the back foot, because the clear and obvious next in line was the oldest of Emperor Xuan's cousins, Prince Xuan. There were other cousins, but given the fact Prince Xuan was a competent adult, we think he was an adult, he was the leader in the clubhouse, the leader in the palace. The problem here for Liang Ji is obvious. How can he be a regent if there is no regency to be had? If Prince Xuan is an adult, Liang Ji is back to just being a powerful official, which could be fine, but he is now an official with very little familial loyalty from the emperor. He goes from the most powerful official to an expendable one in a snap. And this is where he goes from quiet and prodding to outright aggressive. And the Eastern Han is going to pay dearly for this. Given his sister, the Empress Dowager, still gets to pick, and given the fact she still for some reason listens to him, he immediately begins to harangue her to make the seven-year-old Liu Zuan Emperor, one of the younger cousins. Inflection point here for the Han Dynasty. She agrees. And in 145, Liu Zuan becomes Emperor Zhu of Han. But here is where the story goes from somewhat mundane to something straight out of George R.R. R. Martin's finest work. And this is why our show will drag on in the Han for a while more. This is just too good. Newly made Emperor Zhu may have been seven or eight by the time this happened. But in 146, just the next year, Emperor Zhu began to obviously be irked by Liang Ji. And he even chirped at Liang Ji once by calling him in the record, publicly, to his face, as a, quote, arrogant general, end quote. And that took Liang Ji from an ill-willed, power-hungry official into a Shakespearean-level villain. It is written, again, written, we went over this last week, take that with a grain of salt, but it is written that Liang Ji, who had just put Emperor Zhu on the throne for the sole purpose of controlling him, was seeing this plan fall through a bit and orchestrated a new plan around this. The young emperor may have been smart enough to see Liang Ji for what he was, but he was too young to fully grasp the capabilities and danger that Liang Ji posed to him. Liang Ji poisoned Emperor Zhu's soup bowl with a heavy and fast-acting poison. Think like cyanide level quick, and it was not cyanide, but... It wasn't something you give over the course of many months and let them slowly fade away. This was a you're-gonna-die-tonight level poison. 
After eating the soup, Emperor Jur immediately began to die. In his final moments, he requested Li Gu, that honest official that Liang Ji wanted to execute but was rebuffed by the Empress Dowager Liang, well, he's being requested. And Emperor Jur wanted water. The chronicles recount that Emperor Jur may have requested Li Gu, and he was crying out for water as he quickly began to die. But it was Liang Ji who was standing right next to him. The scene here I originally thought should have been adapted into a full HBO show or a, some sort of mini-series, but no. Honestly, no. This is just too good. It's too visceral. It's too real. Laying there, dying, asking for water and Li Gu, Emperor Jur instead had his killer, Liang Ji, standing over him, watching him, not giving him water, guiding him to his death. And guide him to his death, he did. Li Gu tried to have an investigation into the death. But that was all suppressed by Liang Ji, who by now had his tentacles in a lot more than he did just a few years ago. This is just one of the greatest villain origin stories, from simply maneuvering his enemies to potentially fatal postings and governorships, to standing over and personally killing a sitting emperor. Liang Ji had hit his stride, and there was no turning back. And back to square one before Emperor Jur, we go. Once again, the officials were largely in favor of Prince Suan. But Liang Ji was obviously still concerned with this because he wouldn't have as much control over a competent adult. He just killed his best chance at that, but he does something crazy. He again persuaded Empress Dowager Liang to look over Prince Swan against the wishes of the other officials, against all of the advice, and he convinced her to make the younger, albeit not as young, 14-year-old Liao Zhe, who was the Marquess of Li Wu and a great-grandson of Emperor Zhang, Emperor. In the words of Jesse Pinkman, he can't keep getting away with this. But, just like that, Empress Dowager Liang listened to him again. And welcome to the scene. No longer Liao Zhe, the Marquess of Li Wu, but Emperor, Emperor Huan. But it is under Emperor Huan that Liang Ji would actually face his toughest battle. Do you see what I mean when I say Liang Ji put a kerosene on the fire? What if he died young, and his sister, with her honest heart, simply followed the advice of good officials like Li Gu and her own solid beliefs and morals? The Han Dynasty's problems may not have been cured at all, but they would have been held at bay at least. But instead, we do have Liang Ji, who has put in place 
a child emperor for his own convenience and power, killed that child emperor, then installed another. Instead of fixing acute problems of the dynasty, we are meddling in this nonsense. And this is what I mean. We have all of these things that have happened over the last six episodes just not getting fixed. And it is people like Liang Ji who were enabled by some of the mundane changes to power structures and familial dynamics. But it's time to fix things. We're running out of time. And now we just spent a bunch of time having a corrupt official get his tentacles into the entire dynasty's inner workings. We are wasting time with child emperors. We are wasting time with bad potential successors. And these problems continue to go unchecked. And now we're being objectively made worse. And here is where I will pause the main narrative and remind us to look back to what I was just saying at the last six or so episodes. We have watched as these once mundane occurrences or policy decisions or personal decisions turn feral. Again, from empresses' families grabbing power to unchecked rebellions, you name it. The chickens are now coming home to roost. And if you think this is all wild, just wait. It is only going to get wilder from here. Next time, Liang Ji is going for broke. Will he grab the power he wants or burn up like a comet trying? And how will the dynasty fare for it? Well, to the last point, you could probably guess the dynasty is going to fare terribly from it. So next episode out next week. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. And a special thank you to all those who have reached out, who have emailed, who have linked in me, who have tweeted me. Sorry, I was going to say Instagram, but if you DM'd me on Instagram, I, I unfortunately will probably never see that ever because I have deleted Instagram. Which brings me to one last point. I really do make some funny memes for this show. Um, I would put them on the website, but... I don't know if enough of you go on the website to make them worth it. So if you do go to the website, humor me this one time. Follow me on Twitter. Um, I'll start posting there. Um, and you can also see the memes on the website themselves for this episode. And I know I got to get the post out for last episode. I've been really busy. But alas, um, yeah. And look, oh, yeah. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you celebrate, have a happy holidays. There is no Christmas special for the history of China, though I don't think I need to explain why. And lastly, oh yes, thank you to Steve and Samantha for donating. Really, it does mean a lot. So anyway, I've dragged this out way too long. But what a story we have here. Liang Ji, probably one of the best villains since Empress Liu and her horror show. We will pick up where we left off next week. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you all next time on the history of China.